This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium. Extra, extra, episode 68, tournament updates. Music by Ben Prunty, featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. everyone um so this is how the episode starts today and the episode starts with my new host hunter's been fired it's over between me and him i hate him and i don't want him around anymore and the new show is gonna be me and my dear friend david um no this is all a lie but david is here we're actually gonna kick things off because we want to talk about a really cool thing coming up and i kind of just want david to dive right into it so david introduce yourself hi Oh, thanks. Uh, hi, I'm David S. Noor. Uh, you can find me on the, the Reddit and Discord that way. Um, I run the uh, Austin Twilight Imperium League. And uh, I guess just a little bit of background about myself. Um, obviously from Texas. And uh, I don't know if I should say this, but I feel like i got to take the opportunity to brag a little bit. But um, mm-hmm. I got into Twilight Imperium back in 2013 with some friends. And started looking for a community to kind of really play more competitively and uh via pack south they have a tournament each year so as of this last january i'm now the three-time back-to-back-to-back champion for pack south so yeah no big deal i didn't even know this about you no big deal they give you a little medal and everything (laughs) but uh yeah so um I started the Austin community uh, back in 2017 when the game first got announced for the fourth edition because I was looking for more players that were kind of really wanting to play a competitive aspect of it. And we right. uh, we sort of built it up with a league uh, in mind. But the uh, by the end of the year, we kind of realized that the, the league system we had set up was not really conducive to playing good games at Twilight Imperium. So we sort of abandoned that and started thinking about what other ways we could... Um, kind of add a competitive element and uh i met one of the uh well through the discord i met the guys that run the dfw group and then um in talking with them we kind of figured we could maybe make a texas community that could bring all the um the different groups together and host a tournament so which is a huge feat considering how spread out they they really are i mean we we had issue in portland just between like coordinating portland and seattle games and that's just a that's you know not that big of a drive but in texas it's like that big of a drive in every single direction to reach out to all these communities yeah and austin's austin's kind of centrally located which is a really big benefit for us and one of the reasons we decided to host it is that it's at most three hours from any major city so driving distance for everybody but still the central location so um, at the time of this recording, if you guys can hear this, you'll know that there's going to be information being posted everywhere about the tournament, but uh, the, the basics of it is that it's going to be a 36-person tournament. We're going to have six tables on day one, and then all the winners will go on to a championship table on day two, where we'll have a few other kind of for-fun matches for the people that didn't make the championship table. It's going to be hosted Which at... I just uh, want to throw out... I want to throw out there that uh, that's the best way to do these TI tournaments. Hunter and I are in the middle of this like way bigger tournament, and I do not necessarily think that it is better for the fact that it's way bigger. It's it is just so many people, um, and I think the 36 player tournament, just like a quick 
easy down and dirty weekend tournament is is the way to go so i'm super excited just that that that's how you've got it set up i think it's the the best way to do it yeah we're really stoked um with the league we did last year we had some problems where players were sort of throwing games based on the the meta of the league rankings so if a player that was coming up uh, near them was about to score a huge amount of points they'd try and end the game as fast as possible by giving the victory to somebody else to seal it but this method there's no benefit for placing anything other than first so hopefully it leads to kind of a pure competitive aspect of everybody going for the the top spot it's the way ti was meant to be played exactly exactly so um It'll be a Dragon's Lair in Austin. It's going to be on President's Day weekend, so it's going to be February 16th and 17th. That's Saturday and Sunday. Uh, we do have a sign-up page that's going to be linked uh, on your, your post here, and you can find it on our Facebook group, and it'll be posted on the subreddit. It'll be kind of everywhere you can look. We'll have it. It'll be $10 entry, and uh, we'll be doing a, a pretty cool prize for uh, first place, and then all the people that win the table on day one will also get a probably $30 to $40 prize as well. So, um, that is amazing. I mean, we're we're not even technically offering prizes for our tournament, and uh, and that's saying something. Then that you guys have something. I mean, I'm I'm saying that I shouldn't talk down on ours. We'll probably be some sort of prize. I'm sorry. No, please don't leave our tournament. But it's just great. I mean, Gen Con had just like a cool trophy. The fact that you guys are actually able to coordinate like some real stuff, I yeah. think players are gonna like actually try to like really really compete for this. Yeah, one. I'll I'll go ahead and I'll it. spill the beans on what the, what it's gonna be. Um, we're taking yeah. a set of pieces and we're going to basically hand paint them and then it's going to be the, the for the first tournament we're going to do a, a set of the black pieces and then we're going to have highlights of them of you know so black uh hand painted then highlights of gold all over it wow so it'll be for the, the champion they get the kind of their own custom pieces they can take it home play at their table with it and show it off to their friends and then we're looking for and thinking about ways to do something like a stanley cup style where we can record yes. each tournament champion so if you guys have ideas on how we can do that let us know. Um, we're, we still have a little bit of budget to work with on that, but we want to do something pretty cool for TI specific. So, um, anyways, that's the prizes for it. Um, but I, I want to get away from focusing too much on the competitive aspect of it and just take a moment to sure. talk about uh, the really the reason why we're doing it. Primarily, we're just trying to build up a community. Um, when I first got into TI back in 2013, it was TI3, and there was all these modular aspects about TI3 where you could pick and choose, you know, what modes you wanted to go with. And my player, my uh, player group that I played with, we always uh, wanted to add on to that and change it and modify it. And we eventually adopted like yeah. Shattered Ascension. They have a, a module out there, and we did that. Then we even customized that. And the further more complex we got, the more we kind of narrowed the amount of people that could keep up with us. And anytime somebody new came in, it right. was just way too difficult for them to so catch up. So much to teach. But fourth yeah. edition's been perfect in being just, this is the game, vanilla, here's what it is, and learn it and play it. And so the, the purpose of this is just to really get a community together of people that are love the game, want to come out there and, and have people that they can meet and play for and, and have fun with. So yeah, it, regardless that. of your skill, skill level, come on out and join us at the tournament. Absolutely. Uh, well, let's. Can we dig into like maybe more specifics of the tournament? Because I think that's people's general first question. Sure. Um, sure. Do, do you want to go over any of the rules and just kind of like how you guys are doing pre-game stuff, faction selection, map building? Yeah. Like, just give me the whole rundown. Give me the rundown of everything. I, yeah. I want to know. All right. Well, we got uh, faction selection is probably the most fun one, so we'll start there. But uh, we really had two ideas on how we're going to handle this, um, and I guess there's a third option as well. And Normally when we play in our league, we just do two tiles face down to each player, choose one, that's it. Just kind of an RNG aspect. And when we did the tournament, we thought we should probably add some sort of ban element to allow players to have a little bit more control over 
you know who and what they're playing against because we didn't want to have somebody just happen to kind of get Jolnar and win based on right. that little early game RNG. But um, that was still hotly contested because a lot of people are feeling like that's taking away from the whole aspect of the the, the game. But uh, ultimately, the, the community that we were working with really pushed for that. So we said, okay, we'll, we'll add a ban element in there. And then the, the question was, do you still do the RNG method or do you do a, a pick method where you can kind of choose your, your race? And um, right. we had two ideas. We're leaning towards this uh, RNG method. We're like 99% going to go with that, but open to ideas for future tournaments. But currently, the way we have it set up is uh, at a six-person table, the speaker, you roll dice, uh, roll d10 to determine seating order with the highest number getting speaker. And the speaker will not get a ban because there's 17 races. So we're going to have five bans mm -hmm. starting with the player to the left and then going clockwise. And then you'll have 12 races left afterwards. And then uh, basically take those tiles, shuffle them up and deal two to everybody and choose one. And that's what we're leaning towards right now. The other option we're looking at was more of just kind of a simple ban pick, determine seating order, speaker bans and go down the line. And then the last mm -hmm. person then mm -hmm. snakes backwards with picking first and coming back to the speaker. Um, and really the reason we thought to do the uh, RNG over the band pick was really just the community felt like if we did a band pick, we'd see the same races come up over and over again. Right. And we thought the Which RNG would give a little bit more uh, freshness to it. So. Yeah, yeah. But we're open to uh, ideas cool. for future tournaments. So as the players that hear this come out there and play, by all means, give feedback and talk to us about it. We're really looking for new ways to do it. And we do plan on making sure. this a recurring thing. I haven't even told you the name. It's going to be called the uh, Lone Star Galactic Council. We thought, we don't want to call it the Texas... Yeah. Yeah, we don't want to call it the Texas Twilight Imperium Tournament because there's no way that doesn't come out to being tit as far as an acronym goes. <laughs> so we are like, I gotta, gotta come up with something else. And I thought, what's what sounds space-like? And I was like, well, the, right. Texas, Texas is known as the You're Lone there. Star State. Exactly. So I was like, let's just do that instead. So That's amazing. LSGC, yeah. you can't um, make anything dirty out of that. <laughs> I'll try though. <laughs> um, so okay, we have our factions. Yeah. How does the map? What are we doing for for map? Oh yeah, great question. So um, our group always does the competitive build, and we just did that basically because that was in the the rule book, and we thought that was the one we we're going to do initially. But we have seen, as you probably brought up several times in the show, players sometimes get dealt like literally Barry Lerda, Abyss Freya, and Aaron Amir, and then they're like, well. That's pretty good. So we thought uh, right. maybe the way to balance it, and this is kind of the first audible we've done that's really changing the rule set, was after the players have selected races, deal everybody three blues and two reds, and then you can look at your entire hand, you set your reds down, take a look at your blue tiles, choose one, pass two to your left, and then you'll get two mm -hmm. yourself, look at those two, choose one, pass one to the left, then you pick up your third one, and then after that, go to the reds, look at your two reds, choose one and pass, and then you'll end up having a hand. But that way it's kind of more of a, the drafting method allows it to be a little more balanced and right. players know what race they're going to be. So if they want to, you know, value a particular tech specialty skip over a more higher, just raw resource and influence system, they can right. do that. So it gives them a little more agency there to, to choose it, it. Yeah. And then you go into this competitive sure. build, speaker starts and go from there. Cool. So. Cool. I'm I'm happy that there's more tournaments continuing to do at least a variation of competitive build because I like you know our tournament is we pre-made a map and I like it for what we're doing but I think my favorite thing about having lots of tournaments starting to get more and more on the rise is that every tournament's going to have a different method and I think that's the way to to shape everything going forward is I don't think there will ever be a 100% standard way to do competitive TI I think the 
the idea behind it should always be each tournament has its own little spin on it, um, and that changes the factions that are good in that tournament. Um, it, it's essentially the same thing as in most you know esports. I, I think mostly of Dota Two. In Dota Two, you see every time the the TI, the international, comes mm -hmm. around, mm -hmm. there's a whole new set of uh, characters that are the top characters that year because the game gets patched so constantly. Well, TI doesn't get patched, but we ourselves can patch it in the way we do this setup, and and I and that's obviously the most common thing that gets changed about TI four. So I'm I'm just really into seeing what kind of games you end up with with this faction and uh, map building uh, idea. And I think it'll lead to a completely different style of tournament than like what we have, or even what Gen Con did with Gen Con being like straight up and down by the rule book. Yeah. Um, so I, I like to see it keep changing up with I, every tournament. You know, with with our next tournament or with possible future ones, I really do want to consider the concept of like a pick option, because yeah. the cool thing about that is, you know, when you're doing a pick, you get something of a semblance of counter picks. But ultimately, right. it might still feel stale where you still see the same handful of races come out. That's the main reason we're doing the RNG aspect to it. But uh, I do yeah. want to just give credence to the idea that there are some races that seem to be more powerful than others. And um, right. so we're, we're giving the ban option to allow players to either choose if they want to go, maybe say, ban the top races or ban mm -hmm. outliers like the top three and the bottom two or there's banned races right. they don't want to play against you know like if they hate playing against the mentac exactly. or the necro or what have you Hakan. so <laughs> exactly Hakan, things like that it'll yeah. be interesting to see how the meta uh, kind of evolves with this one because we haven't given a lot of uh test runs to that method yet so it'll be fun to see it go live so well awesome well g give me all the details again we said it at the top a little bit but yeah. uh, just so everyone has it all on their minds again how do they figure out more about this tournament where do they need to go and what do they need to do okay so um if you check this post or if you go on the subreddit you'll see a uh, a post on it that's going to have access to a sign up page we're going to have a google doc that has all the tournament information in there inside the google doc we'll have these links uh reposted there as well but we're also going to have a uh, facebook group and um a discord set up the tournament's going to be on Saturday, February 16th, and Sunday, February 17th, which is President's Day weekend. So you have a four-day weekend there. Hopefully, it gives you time to travel down and back safely. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Roughly 10 bucks to get in, and it's going to be at Dragon's Lair in Austin, Texas. Let's see here. Um, is there anything else? Oh, we're going to start at get there no. at 10 a.m. Don't be late. We, uh, we're going to have yeah. a check-in from yeah, 10 yeah. to 10.15 or 10.20, I think. Don't be late because we'll forfeit your spot. We are going to have a wait list for people that uh, want to play that weren't able to get in. And if you're late, your spot's gone, and we're just going to allow them to sub in. So, Awesome. Yeah. Well, Dave, um, thanks thanks so much for, for getting this plug out there. I want I, I, This is an uh, announcement for anyone. If you're organizing a tournament, you can do the same thing. Message me or Hunter on our Facebook or on Discord or on the subreddit or wherever because we are all about plugging more tournaments. Um, you know, we I'm super into all these different community organizers like David and like I know there's a huge community in Seattle we've talked a little bit about before in the past. I would love um, to get more connection with them and, and just in general, the, the TI4NYC guys, if you want to reach out, let's get you guys on the show i just want to plug any and all events because um not everybody that is in the ti4 scene is necessarily a part of their individual communities not everybody thinks to reach out on facebook or whatever um and so um if you listen to the show and you 
haven't reached out to your local community yet, you should totally do so and find people like David so you can get in on these awesome events. Yeah, um, awesome. So, David, thanks thanks so much for coming on. My pleasure, Matt. And um, I just want to say that I really appreciate you guys having me on. Your show has been great in helping us build our community. We have so many members that listen to it, talk about it, and uh, you guys do a great service to us. So thanks a lot. Of course, yeah. And so now... We're going to jump into the proper episode that um, I guess I, I have to let David go now and I have to bring back everyone's least favorite co-host. So um, we're going to fade out and when we come back in, it'll be, I guess, Hunter's turn to talk for a while. So bye bye Here we are again, Hunter, at the end of a cold, long, hard day. So we're recording right after... Uh, a game game seven a game seven which i'm gonna call the scrambler because (laughs) it's i really wish i I, when you you mentioning that reminds me i really my goal was for each game on the youtube channel to give every single one a subtitle and i really part of me almost wants to go back and just go ahead and add them to all the youtube videos because i really want to give like an like a subtitle that is the perfect like yeah encapsulation encapsulation of how that game went and yeah scrambler is a good one for game seven yeah game seven was a doozy um not that we're going to talk about that first uh we're going to talk about them in chronological order different games uh if you're here um, and last week you saw that the episode was called Action Cards Part 1, and you're expecting this week to be Action Cards Part 2. <laughs> Look at the egg on your face, you, you freaking dink-a-link-a-dink. Uh, no, we're, we don't have enough time, basically, to do, and because the games went so long this weekend, we just straight up don't have time to do Action right. Card we Part 2. We don't have time for Part 2, so we're going we're gonna to play a stall. We're playing a stall action. Uh, Hunter's the Asarl tribe, so he's stalling it out. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna do action card tier list next week. It's not a tier um, list. It's a ranking. Sorry, you're right. A ranking. O- it, it's a <laughs> it's a every action card ranked from worst to best. It was right. very ambitious for me to to make that the goal for this right. week without us yeah, even knowing what it was gonna look like this week. And uh, I would say the tournament was uh, the games were meaty and yes. long. Yeah, um, medium long. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for that imagery. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, the other thing, too, we're going to also, if you're going to try to like tap around this episode to find it, we're going to put Action Card Errata in next week's episode as well, because I just don't have the headspace to go through the bucket loads of Action Card Errata. Right. Because you can bet your bottom dollar. I will say this one. I want to get one out of the way, and I'm not even, we'll, we'll quote it more. I'll do it again next week, but... When we were like talking about Courageous to the End and we were like, I, I feel like I'm wrong about Courageous to the End. Definitely wrong about Courageous to the End. What were we wrong? Necro r- can get tech off of Courageous to the End. Courageous to the End is like during combat, oh. which is when Necro can do Courageous to the End. The, basically, it all comes down to like the ambush ability of, ne- of Mentac and uh, Courageous to the End and things like that. There's like a weird spe- special distinction between during combat and a combat role. And, like, different abilities interact with those things. So, like, Ambush can't be morale boosted. Courageous to the End can't be morale boosted. But Necro just needs to score, destroy something during combat, which is when Courageous to the End. Anyways, I don't Oh, okay. We'll all, right, all, right, all right. All right. Well, but then. I really well, no, no, to get no. That but I, I've got something I've got to say then. Sure. You ruled wrong a long time ago. And exactly. you owe me a tech. In, like, our third game ever You of owe me a tech right <laughs> now. You right, owe I'm me a tech. Majin. I'm get, I have Majin. I don't want Majin. it. I don't want well, it. That's I want what something I better. I don't know what else to tell you. You didn't right. have that because I was using Courageous to the end. 
Okay, you had something better. I wasn't gonna burn courageous to the end for Majin. Majin. <laughs> All right. Well, what we want to do today is catch you up on two more games. So for those of you who aren't that into the tournament uh, updates. I'm sorry, maybe this isn't really the episode for you, uh, but I know lots of people are following, uh, and and these are two crazy games. So there's there's a, there's plenty. They to are talk pretty about nuts, here. and also I wanted to give you guys a little bit of an update on like where we're at in the tournament. Yeah. Um, where are we in the tournament? Right. Um. So the goal is for the prelims to be done by February, and we actually just got done making a potential schedule for that right. to be a thing. Now, obviously, Basically, expect a lot of expect all of your emails to get like blown up in the next four days right uh that's the goal at least is to like really start getting ahead of this uh much more than i have been in the past right um so that means the goal is for the semifinals to be a march thing which means yes. that the semifinals it like i we're not halfway through the prelims but we're no. we're kind of almost like it's and, close. and like time d- number of days we're sort of halfway through right because what we're planning to do is start doubling up more on weekends yes um, we're going to be splitting up hunter's going to host some games i'm going to host some games at the same time we tried to do that this last weekend but we didn't give it enough notice so it really fell apart we didn't end up doing two we were supposed to do three games this weekend and it didn't work but that's because we did it on really really short notice yes. so we're, we're planning like a super weekend coming up where we're going to get like five games done or something maybe i don't know four six something some huge amount of games so please uh open up your availability and get ready for games because we're trying to knock out these prelims um so that we can get to the semis by march yeah so yeah, get excited about that. Get excited about the semis coming through. Uh, we we have enough winners now to form a whole game, and we only yeah. need to do that two more times. And two we're, more we times. are always a little we're already a little bit into the second one. So there we go. Yep. Uh, let's talk about game six. Let's talk about game six. Um, game six that was yesterday for you and I in our time period. In our timeline. Um, so in our timeline. Uh, this was the first draft that I was super, super into in terms of what the players were doing. We've had a number of drafts where the players just did their thing and saw what they got. This was the first draft from, from the get go. We dealt before we even dealt factions, they started talking or like, Hey, let's all agree to ban the good factions. Let's figure like, let's make this Mm -hmm. a thing. Mm -hmm. And then when they got their hands, like some of them were even saying, I got soul. I'm going to ban soul. Who's going to ban Jolinar? Who's got like, they were going around and like really trying to knock out this draft so that they got factions that like worked for them right um and that i was just so into that that's that's what i want the draft to do i get it maybe not always working in in um competitive games but i know in future games where like we do the draft and even in past games we talk so much during our drafts yeah just to get factions that are interesting in there for sure um so all that being said what ended up is uh sardak and winu actually still made it through the nomination process um but part of that is because one of our players ever noob uh, he messaged me like days before this game when he knew he was in it, and he was like, "I'm gonna play Sardak. That's what. That's my goal. I'm putting Sardak in the game, and I'm gonna be Sardak." So Sardak was always gonna be in this draft, and then somebody. I think the mentality was since Sardak was in there, someone was like, "Well, I'm gonna put Winu in there since most of the good factions are out. I want Winu to either force someone to take Sardak or force someone to take a theoretically bad faction." Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. So it kind of put the block. I forget what it actually blocked, but um, the net result was our uh, game six ended up being between Evernoob as the Sardak Nor, uh, Michael as the L1Z1X, 
Alex Lilburn as the Mentech Coalition. Alex Lilburn, you know, from the Agenda episode and stuff like that. Uh, Jack B, also known as Ben, was the Isaral Tribes. Uh, and Nine of Spades was our Yin Brotherhood. And Paul was the Barony of Letnev. Uh, and to give you the slice breakdown, that's Sardak Nor in Fast and Cultured, Lizix in Big and Tight, Mentak and Darien Slice. This is a, it's like a, many times now we've seen Mentak and Darien yep, Slice. Yep. Our fourth or fifth game with uh, Asarl in Dangerous Diplo, which game seven was also Asarl in Dangerous Diplo. I'll what is right that? Away. Well, someone tell yeah. me what is going I don't know on what, with that. I mean, what it is is the blue skip. It's the blue skip. But then but there's every time blue skip. they don't use it. Yeah, they never use the blue skip and there is another blue skip. Anyways, uh, we saw Yin in the Slice of the Gashly. And we saw the Sardak Nor in Little and Tight. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that Yin ended up in Slice of the Gashly. Um, still very high re- high influence, which yep. is good. Uh, yep. But the way that it's de- like divided up is Broken not up. super great. There's one... The, I mean, it's it's better than like two one threes, right? Yeah. Like RNAM is a possible indoctrination yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, planet but then you get left with a zero four in mirror which means you're probably wasting an influence for command counters right, right. with mirror it, it gets awkward for yin but that being um, said yellow skip that being said i do like mentech and darian slice every time i see it i really like it and i think i think the logic you of mean it, sli- oh yeah 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 ahead. no so I, I i like mentech and i mean that like obviously uh, Yin makes more sense of Darien Slice, but uh, I don't remember how it worked out, but maybe they didn't get to pick that, so they picked Slice of the Gash Life for, right. for whatever right. reason. Well, because Men- Mentech has proven to be much more into Darien Slice than, um, than yeah. you know, yeah. uh, than than Big and Tight with the oh, New Albion. Oh, sure, sure. I'm into, I'm into the New Albion thing, but the Yellow Skip makes a ton of sense. Um, and usually what happens is Mentech is a later faction pick, someone down the line, and usually Slice of the, Slice of the Gashly is gone by then. So obviously, Mentech would love to be in Slice of the Gashly, um, but I, that's just not usually how it works out. Here's what I like about Darien Slice, though, because a yellow, a yellow skip is good for getting the the really juicy uh, Mentech uh, techs, you know, that, you know, you're not necessarily just going to rush for a cruiser two, and and right. maybe, like, a lot of times I feel like people are like, well, but I want to get Neural anyways, so I'm not trying to rush for it. So yeah. if, if that's not on your mind, then Darien Slice is perfectly fine. Um, right. And also what I think is cool about it is you've got a Gravity Rift on one side and a Nebula on the other, uh, which are probably the two best anomalies to camp out and pillage from. Right. And I, I feel like we've seen people do that to great effect uh, in yeah. this game and in the other game where we had a Mentech in the same position. Definitely. Um, I will say this much uh, after game six and this is actually I'll save this point for later because it has more to do with game seven. Okay. Um, But we saw the Sardak Nor in the round one speaker token position. Uh, They took warfare makes total sense. Actually, I'll say this much to get it out of the way. Round one was just like your basic. Everyone did it. Everyone did round one just fine. Mm -hmm. We've had a couple games where like, ooh, I wish they had done this instead or ooh, that was a really clever trade. This was just like your standard round one well nobody people messed up expanded. we've seen people mess up at this point right in round exactly one. no nobody messed up round one and, and honestly crazy sardak was awesome like Sar- like yeah. sardak uh, the sardak opener was great like everdoom right. filled out their entire slice this was the game so uh this should be pointed out uh, the first two objectives, after Evernoob was a, made a very strong point that he was going to take Sardak, the very first two objectives revealed were two tech and two colors and two unit upgrades. Yeah. 
And despite that, <laughs> Sardak took Warfare and did not buy any tech. Yeah. So he was kind of early game committing to like, I'm probably going to maybe get the tech later. I'm going to focus on being Sardak and like fill out this slice. And I was into it. I mean, it sucks. It just like, what do you do when that happens? And I think later in the game, he also drew a tech secret objective. So it was like nightmare scenario for Sardak Noor in terms of objectives. Yeah. Um, but I, I still stand by. I think it wasn't a bad idea to just do the warfare, get the whole fast and cultured slice. That gives you a blue skip and a red skip. And then you'll you'll catch up in tech later. Well, with, I th- with better tech than you would have had to get otherwise. Well, not to give it away, but I feel like his plan clearly was to go for Mechatol Rex. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. And, he, and, he was gunning for it. Yeah. So, I mean, those objectives came, came out and he was like, I'm not going to bother trying to like hobble my way to those and slowing myself right. down. I'm just going to go uh, for Mechatol Rex. And with the round one warfare, they were totally able to accomplish that. Um, so we had an right. early Sardak on uh, Mechatol Rex, which I think he held on to for a very long time, if I remember correctly. Like most yeah. of the game. If, yeah, if not I, the, I don't remember exactly how long, but yeah, he had it for a for, good while. For quite a while. Uh, um, going, Go ahead. Yeah, so round two, uh, I feel like... Well, actually, one thing I wanted to call out about Sardak before we move on to some other points is uh, sure. one thing. One other thing that Evernoob was doing that I was really into was he was trying to trade Teclar Legion all the time. Because Te- yes. Teclar Legion is one of the more interesting promissory notes to me because it's something that, like, it's going to come up and it's yep. going to be something useful. It's like... It's an opportunity cost thing, too. Right. So, that's like... The, that's the deal you're always making is, like, hey, you can do this right now. Yeah. I can just hand this to you. You can do this, and it's going to help you. Because, I mean, like, yeah, invasion combat is always the tricky part, really, for yeah. anybody. Um, and even though we had, like, Yin Brotherhood, I still feel like for most of the factions, they were kind of in that position of, like, yeah, the invasion combat is not guaranteed, so they probably did need that. And Evernoob did a really good job of, like, getting that out there and uh, and really working that card, which I always want to see. Right, right. Uh, so moving into round two... Um, Alex Laxo on the Discord was our Mentac player, and he proved to be very shrewd in round two. Uh, Alex was not willing to do uh, trades. He, he Basically, people were like, hey, I'll do a trade with you if you don't pillage. And Alex's response was pretty much generally just like, uh, no, nah, I'll, just, I'll just take the pillage. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he didn't really care about getting deals done. Uh, important thing to note, if you, if you are... Uh, we, we went through the factions, but... Nor L1, Mentak, Asarl, Yin, and Letnev, there's not a single four commodity faction in that bunch. And that's what, like three twos and three threes with a Mentak in there? This is a terrible game for trade. I yeah. Mean, this is, this is yeah. absolutely terrible for trade because you're almost never going to get big swaps. You're, you're going to do two for twos, two for threes, stuff like that. And then Mentak's going to steal from both of you if he gets himself in the right positions, which is essentially what Alex seemed to be opting to do. It was just like, I'm just going to get everywhere. Everyone's going to be forced to do small trades and I'm going to make bank. Right. So I don't care if you're not my friend. I'm, I'm just going to get my pillage. And I mean, be done with it. I think it's a smart play considering mirror computing. Like that, that's right. the thing is like Mentak doesn't really need to make a lot of money. So like, no. You might as well just just take your tax right. and then double it halfway through the game. As long as yes. you're as long as you're banking, as long as you them. bank it. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. It's really useful. Um, we saw L one dip into Sardax slice a little bit, so L one went north into Fast and Cultured um, to try to get a third tech skip. That was the third objective revealed. 
Um, but he 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 kind of pushed early because he didn't have a third tech skip available, and it didn't look like he was going to be able to get any. So it was kind of like one of those like, ooh, you did one of the more aggressive moves before you had any other plan to back that up. So it was right. sort of just like left himself stranded. It was a little bit scary. Um, and then we saw uh, that agenda phase of round two. We saw a support for the throne swap um, for basically no votes. I mean, it it was just like a it was just a weird little support for the throne swap. Um, I wish I could remember exactly who it was between. I'm trying to pull it up to, to see. But all, all I remember is two people swapped support for the loans, and it was over Peanuts. I think it was Mentak and Yin, I want to say. Oh, yeah. I think that is right. Yeah. Um, so they, they it was like, yeah, if you vote for this, I'll give you, let's do a support for the, it, it really, it didn't even actually have anything to do with the vote. They just both clearly wanted to do a support for the throne swap. Yeah. And they got it done and out of the way. Well, I mean, that's, it's for a point. So, I mean, whatever. Yeah, um, exactly. So let's talk about round three. Uh, you have yeah. a note here that I find very interesting that I hope you remember, uh, which says nine of spades <laughs> predicts exactly what Root just said. What does that I mean? Know. What is that about? Uh, you know what? I'm just going to pull up that time code. Uh, you keep talking, but I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna pull that up because I I only halfway remember it. There were two different times people said something like seconds after we said it in our secret channel, mm -hmm. um, and it was like wow, they just ex said exactly what it was something. It wasn't actually a big gameplay thing. Nine of Spades has played uh, with Root a lot or has seen Root play a lot, and Nine of Spades said something along the lines of like after an action happened, he was like, I bet Root. Uh, is saying this right now and root had literally just said what he thought he said you know right it's just right like, right whatever root was saying it was like oh man this is gonna be crazy and nine of spades was like i bet root's gonna say that oh man this is gonna be crazy and it was <laughs> word for word exactly that <laughs> that's amazing that's great um well so uh it looks like in round three things got a little bit weird for this game uh yeah so Sardak Nor doing the whole push on Mechatol and everything um, also got his flagship out there pretty early, which I think is is rare for Sardak Nor. Now, mm -hmm. Evernoob was very confident about wanting to play Sardak, so I trust his judgment more than my own. I've never even I don't think I've played Sardak yet. And so I'm kind of just like the book is still open on like what is really good Sardak. Strategy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I think we've generally said the flagship isn't like it's not one of the better flagships because it's a win more sort of thing with your ability. Right. But who knows it's it's still some hits and it's still helping but he sent it into an attack that maybe was less than advised because he got absolutely crushed by pds um he ended up having to tap his flagship and the player happened to have um a direct hit so he kind of just burned his flagship on a on a little bit of a nothing burger um invasion yeah and well i mean and, and basically what we're saying and like if, if i were to try and paint with a wider brush uh the way the game was feeling out the gate was like it sardak's game was really exciting like it was like oh wow sardak has mechatol uh they yeah. expanded way faster than everybody else uh right. and you know what? i feel like we we failed to mention this but what was happening what we mean by in round one everybody was doing well is that things were getting stalled out correctly yeah yeah um so like basically when we, like when we say that it was impressive that Sardak got their entire slice, I mean obviously if you have warfare you should be able to like fill out your slice. That's not yeah. and they're two, they're a two C four I faction. But what I mean is that they felt ahead. Like it felt like right. nobody else had even gotten close to filling out their slice, and Sardak right. was just ready to go in round two. And then they take uh, Mechatol Rex, 
And then it feels like they just kind of ran into some bad luck. Um, L1 was aggressive towards them and succeeded, but did not get a point for it. So that was kind of a just like, ah, that's hurting their game. And it doesn't feel like it was really for anything. And then, you know, there was just kind of this unwise, uh, unfortunate loss of uh, the flagship. So about mid game, like round three, Sardak is not really looking very good anymore. Whereas um, everybody else is just kind of in a pack together. Everybody's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And the other big important thing to note here was, uh, I forget exactly which agenda this happened, but um, the agenda where a stage one or two gets revealed came out, uh, a stage two got revealed. Um, And at this point, again, two tech objectives, a tech specialty objectives, basically all the public objectives are like wicked hard to do. And round four, after everything has just kind of balanced out and Sardak has just taken a hit, uh, Yin gets Imperial and essentially has a swing round. Now, in a normal game, I would be like, eh, it's not much of a swing round. But when every objective is like completely locking people out of points, when he took the swing round, we were bang- we were basically like, oh, crap. Yin has like a really straight shot to success here because the amount of time it will take everyone to score the rest of these objectives is so huge that this three-point lead or whatever it was out of yin is enough to carry him for the rest of the game well because of the other objectives he also had available to him right it was it was it was kind of critical so essentially what happened was yin had what i think would have been a pretty minor swing round except for they got they got another support for the throne um, right that they did uh it was for minister of sciences which second game in a row we saw that come out um And it was so that Barony would would receive it. So 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 right. Barony makes this trade um, and gives Yin a support for the throne uh, that then caused Yin to go up to six. And there's right. a really big difference between like five and six. Yeah. Uh, there's a huge difference. Like that. That's right. it's just a one point difference. But six is when you can start saying like, well. With Imperial, yeah. that's you could end the game. That's a game, right? So and 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 yeah. let's not forget too, it's the Yin Brotherhood, right? Who like if everyone needs to jump on someone, basically the last faction in the world you want to have to jump on is Yin Brotherhood mm-hmm. if they've set up their slice right. Mm-hmm. And his slice was looking decent enough, right? Yeah. He had ground forces, and it was like it's going to be pretty hard to take all of this stuff from the Yin, right? Um, so basically by by round four, by the end of round four, we were like, uh oh. This is probably Yin's. And the table very quickly agreed um, and knew that they had to do something to Yin because just nobody else had the scoring potential like Yin did. And he was way in the lead. Um, However, Ixthian Artifact came out. Yeah, so so that's the thing, though, is like as they're realizing this, Ixthian Artifact comes out and uh, like what? It it went off, right? Yeah, it went off and it just like crushed the whole center. I mean, no, 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 no. Ixthian Artifact, I think they successfully... Got it shut down, but Ixthian came out, and it was like this huge threat on the board that like they debated and debated and debated. But I think they actually managed to make the no effect happen. Oh, uh, okay, I see. I if see. I remember right. Um, Honestly, but, there's been too many games because Ixthian has come out in we other games. A lot of the same agenda. Yeah, I shuffle that deck like crazy every time, and yeah, we've seen a lot of the same agendas okay. over and over again. So that is not the one where Ixthian. Now it makes it. sense though, to, from the standpoint of if people are putting certain things on top and certain things on bottom. There are big agendas that you always put on top and there are dumb, lame agendas that you always toss on bottom. So the deck kind of cultivates itself. Um, Round five is when the table turns 
on Yin. Uh, Asarl activates Yin's home. There's just like people start like the whole table very quickly realized we have to start doing something about Yin. Mm-hmm. I don't think that much much action actually happened in round five, but it was that sort of like vocal. There's our enemy. Let's deal with this problem. Right. And then basically going into round six, uh, Yin basically has it in the bag from the beginning of yeah. the round, um, as long as they can keep their uh, their home system. Right. And it's a very complicated series of events in order for uh, for Yin to not lose, basically. Right. Well, and it's it's not only a very complicated situation, but nobody else has, like, any shot to win so it is literally all about stopping the yin. The whole round is we stop the yin so that uh, the game continues. Right. Um, Not, oh, but it might be a kingmaker. It's like, no, 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 no. You have to stop the yin. It's the only way we all get to keep playing and we all hope for another round. And it's actually a really insane round. I would recommend everyone watch the final round of this game. It's I actually think it's one of the craziest rounds in the tournament thus far. Yep. Because yep. essentially what happens is Yin doesn't need to do anything. Um, and yep. I'm sorry I can't remember the specific objectives, but what's really notable about it is the rest of the table concocts the craziest plan to... Right. to basically stop yin and what's crazy is that it would actually work like yin yes. has like a ridiculous number of let's, um, let's break infantry. it down because i yeah. remember yeah. i remember most of yeah. what had to happen the, the steps are so, crazy uh Isarl needed to go, get in there so so yin has the van hog above right. his home system right. and he's got like 15 or eight or like you know but more than five infantry right more than you um, can get there basically more than you can get there um so and then on top of that uh somebody had x89 who had x89 l1 uh, research l1 z1 x x89 decided to use their tech to get x89 so that they could deal with this problem so first thing and, and then the only person with infantry in range was the barony <laughs> so isarl had to get in and pop the van hog and just to sacrifice all just, of those ships. Just sacrifice. Just sacrifice a fleet to pop the Van Hog. Right, right. Then L1 had to get in, park a Dreadnought there, wait around, use X89. Then Barony had to use Warfare to lift uh, a command counter off of the home system that was already there. And then wait around and then invade. And keep in mind there too, what I just said is the Warfare has to pop actually in such a way that Ideally, what would have happened is um, X89 happens after Warfare, because if Warfare happens after X89, right, you right. run into the situation where he gets to rebuild a bunch of infantry. So L1 was needing to go there, stall around, then Warfare, Warfare pops. pops, then X89, right. th- then Barony has to stall, or no, yes. no. Then Barony Regardless, can go. Yeah, the, it's ridiculous. Then finally Barony can invade and take one, you know, take Darien, all just to stop Yin from winning, and now everyone has to worry about their own victory. Right. <laughs> like, that was the only way to stop this game. And it's really crazy, uh, because, like, it, I, I've never seen a table actually hatch a plan. Like, I've seen that yeah. so many times, where, like, it's like, oh, no, so-and-so's gonna win. How do we stop them? And this right. was the wildest plan, and it what's, what's kind of messed up is it totally would have worked, uh, but it's really hard to get that many players in the last round to pull right. off something perfectly like that. And they did have some bad luck. Right. And it was like a 
two and a half hour long round. I'll say this, the bad luck they had was that Isarl actually failed to destroy the Van Hog. So right, that was the biggest deal. Isarl moved in with, with enough, but uh, Yin got a total of five tens and nines and then some sevens and stuff on cruisers so yeah. they got five hits on the first round of combat and four hits on the second round of combat and completely wiped Isaro's fleet out and it ended up leaving the van hog alive so that stalled it even longer now somebody else has to get in and kill the lonely van hog mm-hmm. and then they still have to do the rest of the plan right so uh, a really terrible round of dice rolls for them led to even more delays and even more all of them having to coordinate this perfectly, right? right? You're expecting five players to perfectly do something. And it's worth noting here, I say five players, but Mentak was not helping at all. Right. Men- Mentak- Alex was fo- Alex didn't have a bunch on the board, and he was just trying to focus on getting his own stuff. He did a thing through the Rift. There was some stuff. Um, Men- and, Mentak and so really was, was trying four- to win if Yin lost, basically. Right. Try- he was trying to set himself up for the next round in a better way. And he didn't... It, the argument, too, was that he didn't have anything to contribute to this plan. There was nothing that he could send there anyway. And he, so was, he wasn't really yeah, a part of the I don't, plan. I don't blame it, him at all because he also... He had Yin's support for the throne. So in his right. head, it's like, am I going to lose the support for the throne just, just to, to extend this game? game? Like, right. he, he was in a Goldilocks zone of needing to win while that window was open to him. Right. Um, However, that all being said, uh, that his plan was all for naught because Evernoob actually had it in the bag if Yin hadn't yeah. won. So we already had somebody that had well, slipped in. Well, and let's in. talk about that for a second. Yeah. I didn't write down the notes, but Evernoob didn't have a shot and coordinated a situation where he earned a shot to possibly win. Mm-hmm. You were in the secret conversations. Maybe you can break it down a little bit more. Uh, it's he, hard to remember. I know there was yeah, a lot going on. Yeah, I'm sorry. On. Uh, it was a. I mean, it was a support for the throne trade that he got right. from Isarl actually, and I forget what he gave him to get it. But I'll I'll say it didn't seem like much, uh, and I almost feel like it was based. The argument was essentially like. You've got no shot in this. How about we do this trade and we'll see what happens, right. basically. Right. Actually, right. I think this, it, it the, might have been The argument is like, a, let's set both of us up better for next round. No, no, We're no, going to no. crush I, this yin guy. I'm pretty sure it was simple. I'm pretty sure it was just a support swap between the two of them. I, actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if one of them were to reach out and correct us, I, I would appreciate that for, for next week. Um, but I, I think it was just a simple support swap. Now, the thing is... Isarl was much lower on the, the track yeah, than Sardak. Right. So Sardak so had a lot more to gain Sardak. from that. Um, but also once, once they made that trade, Sardak, uh, was secretly in striking distance, uh, right. and nobody and, noticed. And secretly not really having that much of a dog in the fight with Yin. Right. Now, yes, he needs them to take down Yin. He's not going to explicitly get in their way, but he's not doing anything to help anymore. He's not, you know, he, I think he threw one random action at them to kind of be like, oh, look, I'm still helping. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was a totally just like yeah. bunk. Yeah, he wasn't doing anything. It was very um, funny, though. Uh, he, he had an interesting tactic, uh, Evernoob, that I want to break down. And I want to make this very public that he did this uh, because I'm sure people have a lot of different opinions on this. Uh, I think it's hilarious. Uh, but the thing about Sardak is that one of the stage twos was the spend uh, six command counters. Yeah. Um, right. And he stacked all of his command counters <laughs> in one little pile on top of And I don't know if he was doing this on purpose. And he if was. I was him, I would claim that I didn't do it on purpose. Uh, 
But to a casual observer, it appeared that he only had like one command counter. Right. You had to look closely kind of from an angle to see that there was a stack. If you were looking straight above, you just wouldn't know. Right. And and I'm going to say that that is totally legal play. Um, it's subterfuge. It's kind of, uh, it's a little bit uh, grimy as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. But oh, yeah. the way you organize your... I mean, we're not going to police how you organize your command counters no. on the thing. Yeah. They have to be on the thing. But uh, but yeah, uh, it was hard for people to see how many command counters he had. He right. was being sly. I would watch right. for people doing stuff like that, honestly. Yeah. I mean, it's just another point of like, this game is hard when you're trying to focus on like what everybody else is doing because they were so, they were so focused on Yin that like, who's going to pay attention to like really what's going on with Sardak's command counters yeah, and yeah. stuff. And, and that's, and that's just more to the, to the point that when it's the final round, you need to look at everybody else's, well, I mean, final round, it's, you have to know it was the final round, but right. when you're getting into round five and round six and round yeah. seven, God forbid, you need right. to be looking at other people's play areas like closely and really the mentality, seeing what they have. Yeah. The mentality should be round we're in round 5. Can anyone make a big swing to win it? You know yes what? Yes or no. You know what round I, 6, look at everyone. Yeah. Round 6, you should look at every single player and make very certain that they don't have a path to victory because they probably do. And then like you're saying, round 7, you need to know who's going to score on their first turn. Right. Um, because that's probably going to happen. I mean, what I do, and, and this is not a revelation, people do this all the time, but I just, you know, just remember to do this always, is when you're later on, when you're pat, when you're round five and above, when people pick their strategy card, think about why they are doing that. Look right. at look at their whole thing. That's that's the time to do it. Is everybody yeah, taking your strategy time cards. on strategy card picks? Some, somebody picks a card. Look at it. Be like, okay, what? So, what's their plan with that? Look at the look at the victory points, and then yep. then and then there, and then from then on, what, if you've already got that figured out, you know what publics are going for, right? And then you kind of note that in your head, and then during the action phase, be on the lookout for secret objectives they might be going for. Right. And I mean, like, I I know that might that might that might sound crazy to some of you to actually be looking for the secret objectives. The, at the Gen Con tournament, that was one of the main things I was super impressed with them is yeah. a lot of them were really good at having all the secret objectives in their head, and right. they would successfully guess a lot of times which one what they somebody going was going for. And they had to double up on that because some players had to look like they were going for men. You know, we had yep. that's what yep. what's what Joey, who played a couple weeks ago, one of his tactics in his preliminary round was he set him up he set himself up to where it looked like he was going for like six different secret objectives. Yeah. And some of those actions were totally wasted actions, but he had already solidified his chance to win. And so it was more about I gotta throw everybody off the scent. So I'm gonna go take this industrial planet and it happens to be my fourth industrial planet. So maybe they think they need to do that instead of the other thing um but all of this came to a crashing halt when um the plan was working so far for everyone and then barony just i mean in a mistaken moment on his warfare play he pulled the token from his home system and not from the yin brotherhood's home system and the only way he was ever going to take the yin brotherhood home system is if he got his own token off the yin system yeah. Uh, because Yin had Diplo that round. So it wasn't like he'd already activated. It was just, it got Diploed. And it's just one of those things that happens. He, this was a German player and he had a German term, or I think it was a Belgian player, but he had a German term for when you, when you just forget, you just forget exactly the thing you were supposed to do because mm-hmm. you get sidetracked. And mm-hmm. it's, it was just like, oh, uh, basically he pulled the wrong one. About two or three actions went by. And then the Yin went, wait, Barony, did you take 
which ta- token did you take from your from with warfare and he said his home my home system and yin just went uh okay because they were all being very vocal about what the plan right, was so right. he knew what they were trying to do and uh i mean that was more or less it that completely sealed the deal the fact that barony now couldn't take the planet ass- right just assured yin a victory in the status because d- sardak d- couldn't score soon enough i do want to say this because i never i uh i never like it when someone tries to rob somebody else of a twilight imperium victory uh, sure. And and kind of make you know when people make those comments of like, well, there was this mistake, but we we had you basically. They yeah. they didn't necessarily have him. Um, right. I think if they had executed the plan perfectly, it definitely would have worked. But their plan was really difficult to pull off, and they had right. already made other mistakes. Right. So like, and it's not like Yin never made any any mistakes. That's the other part that gets me about when people start talking about the mistakes they made that cost them the game. It's like, okay, but the winner made mistakes too. That was a big thing with our Winu game in game five. I mean, it's like winners make mistakes too. They just happen to mitigate the the disaster they suffer from those mistakes more than other players. Or they get lucky. Maybe sometimes it's luck. But in general, everyone at these tables is making mistakes. We We have watched every player at every table make mistakes. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was really cool to see a game uh, play out the way that that one did. That's the first game in the tournament we've yeah. had like that. Right, um, where it was just like get everyone gang up on the leader. Nobody's, it was also... We haven't had such a clear leader right, like that. Right, right. That, that was also just the first game that we had someone run away. Like just, right. like, just get so significantly ahead. A lot of it has been games of just like people, uh, you know, just kind of being in a pack and then it gets to the end and at, like it's just hot potato of yes. who yeah. has the path right now right to, to be to put it into perspective yin won with 10 points sardak had seven points and then it was five four four two mm-hmm. so if sardak wasn't going to win it nobody had even a close shot yeah um, um so it yeah that that was that game i will say this on a friend friend of the show's behalf uh alex's behalf uh, there was a lot of very harsh meta against Mentech. Men- yeah, it was people were well, and I think it contributes to he started out as a shrewd negotiator. Right, so it was right. people and the whole problem of we none of us have enough commodities to deal with getting pillaged. Like getting pillaged is an extra annoying thing. Whereas if you're Joel R, okay, I'm gonna gain three. And you'll get one. Like I'll, I'll, I'm getting four and giving up one to you. I'm still getting three. That's great. Right. When you're only getting two and you lose one, you just lost half the trade. Right. Right. And get. it's and it's that a huge, sucks. especially when you see Mentech with mirror computing ha- and right. feeling like they're getting so much out of this pillage. Um, right. But I mean, I feel like that is the right way to to play Mentech personally. I think they get more out of taking from other people than they get out of like mitigating their own ability. Yeah. Right. Um, because the other people have less and they have more. That's the whole thing is they double their small amount of, of trade goods. Um, right. But the thing I, I really want to point out that I thought was interesting was the meta was so hard against Mentech that people were talking about him in the final round as if he right. was going to be the person who was going to win yeah, if Yin exactly. did not win. But he was at like five points and right. secretly... Ever noob actually had it in the bag, and no one was noticing. They were no, all just nobody like, cared about Sardak at seven. They all cared about Mentak at five. Yeah, it was such it a was big deal ridiculous. that Mentak was at five points. I, yeah. I, I was I felt for him so much, uh, and, right. and he actually did attempt um, a secret objective grab uh, by trying to kill a uh, flagship by going through the rift, um, yeah. and it failed spectacularly. His flagship yeah. died game in, in a row. Rift. We saw that. Yeah, so. Um. Or sorry, it was uh, was it that he was trying to kill a flagship, or he was trying to unveil a flagship? I don't know. It doesn't matter. I think he was trying to kill a flagship. Oh, okay. Well, um, but regardless, I think 
that let should we i think we should dive into game seven yeah let's talk about game uh, seven there's there's plenty more to talk about there game seven's a harder game to talk about yeah i would agree um because this game what what did we call it earlier just 40 minutes uh, it ago? was a scrambler it was like scrambler. it scrambled your brain and it scrambled all of their brains too this yes. this was the most like i this think most deals Deals per minute, the most, the highest DPM I think, of any game, honestly, by like a mile. I mean, I, I, I want to get into the specifics first, but I want to say broadly about this game. I feel like they all just kind of tuckered each other out. Like I yeah, think they all they made each it. other tired because they yep. did so much negotiating deals that right. I think by the end of it, they, they were literally, they had made the game go longer for themselves, and they yeah. had made themselves more and more tired. This is the most tired group this was the tired right. like oh geez all is dead. this almost yeah. over game here's here's yeah. the here, if i was going to give an abstract for this game it was early so much deal making and we were so into it and it was so interesting and like oh man and nalu's gonna get the better edge of this and he yeah. doesn't know and yeah. it's like ooh, all the secret dealing and by the midpoint of the game because there was so much deal making between each other, they were getting in the way of each other's deals and ending up like just stopping each other. Like it, it's it. It would be the same as if I took your home system and you took my home system. Now neither of us can score points, but everything was behind closed doors. So they were right. making deals right. over each other that kept screwing over each other's deals. Yeah, it's, and, it's like and like it's, stalling them all out. It's like if I tell you that I'm going to give you my trade agreement and then you tell me that like we're going to do a swap and then you tell someone else that you're actually going to do that and then you right. do that with them and then i don't do it with anybody but now you've done it with somebody you weren't supposed to right. as so far much, as the deal and it's yeah it was it got really nuts actually right this almost game. every single action was an extortion um any action card that got played it was like well i have a sabotage who's going to pay me to not sabotage this or to sabotage this or whatever everyone wanted to get paid for everything we haven't even talked about who was in this game right let's, do let's, that let's break quick. it down um so we had Isarl in Dangerous Diplo yet again. Uh, played by Bro Brokes? No. Uh, yeah, play played by James Brooks, uh, Dr. Worm MD on uh, Board Game Geek. Oh, uh, okay, cool, cool, uh, cool. We had the Barony of Letnev in The Slice of the Gashly. Am I getting this right? Boy, howdy. Um, I don't no, have no, as good no, that's right. Uh, that was Luke. I don't have as good a notes here. No, no, that, 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 that was Luke that uh, was playing Luke. as Barony in Slice of the Gashlight. Uh, we had in Little and Tight, we had Sar uh, played by uh, Ed. Ed. Uh, and then we had Nalu in Big and Tight, or in, I'm sorry, uh, Fast and Cultured. Fast and Cultured, played by Joe. And that was Joe. And we had Necro in Big and Tight, and that was uh, Panster. Mm-hmm. And then we had Yin in Darian Slice, played by Laura. Yeah. Friend of the show, Laura, who was, show, Laura. was on that one episode. I forget which episode it was, but it was good. My last one in Portland. Mm -hmm. So that was the makeup of that game. And uh, honestly, a weird selection of factions for it to be as deal-makey as it was. Yeah. But the reason is because it was all a bunch of factions who were like really trying to get very specific things done. Yeah, I don't know. It was such a weird game. It is so hard to like give an overview because I, I was getting lost just in even what the deals were. Right? It's so hard to follow what someone's trying to achieve when they've made a deal with like three other people. Right. And I don't know how it's all going to pay off. It was for the them. most secret conversations we've seen thus far. Uh, but let's yep. let's let's start with something specific that we can we can at least talk about this. So yeah. so round one, 
Uh, I want to get some compliments in for uh, Isarl early because I do because I feel like I have a bone to pick with oh, yeah. Isarl's play in general. <laughs> uh, but Isarl perfectly, magnificently yes. stalled yes. everyone out of warfare. Um, yep. Which uh, I know that's like duh, like of course Isarl can do that. But the first two objectives were basically very dependent on uh, like getting that warfare. Getting that warfare. So. Uh, Isarl basically had an opportunity to take a lead before anyone else could score anything. The first objective was uh, two ships adjacent to Mechatol, right. and then the second one was three... Eight resources. Eight resources, that's what it was. So nobody could get that. Um, maybe a Diplo pick would have gotten eight resources, but nobody did that. Or Trade for Sar. Trade trade for Sar could have done it right. with, a, with a lot of work. So we were really excited, um, and Isarl kind of played as if they were going to get the uh, Mechatol Rex adjacent point and successfully right. stop anyone from from doing the Being secondary close. warfare. Uh, and then they just didn't. I don't know. They didn't score it. I don't yeah. know why. Uh, I think it could have been a thing where it's like, I'm afraid of being the leader, but my argument is in round one, everyone knows there's not an actual leader. Right. It's not a thing. And then round, so, yeah. round two is when things started getting really, really heavy on the deals, like a, like a lot. Yeah. Um, Isarl tries to make a deal to get that point we were just talking about. Right. Um, but they don't really have anything to offer. Right. Uh, it's hard. It's, and it was just too late. Like nobody cares. Everyone wants to go for that point now and you should have just gotten it. You should have right. already done it. Right. And now you can get out of people's way. Now you can offer to get out of people's way for them to get the point and get paid for it. That's what I would have rather seen. Yeah, there's there's a point uh, in round two where Necro is negotiating with Nalu to ha to kill one of Nalu's cruisers so uh -huh. that Necro can get tech from that. There was a lot of deal making over right. getting Necro tech, which I thought was interesting. You don't see a lot of that. Like normally, you just see a Necro just kill something, like right. and, and get the tech. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The fact that he was like making offers about it was like, no, just go, just go get it, just go attack. But him. but but there was a lot of like this. There's something interesting about. There's a lesson to be learned. I feel like from this game because yeah. I every player at the beginning of this game was trying to vocally say, hey, let's all be friends. And yep. let's try and make all these deals in order to keep being friends. And that, right. that, that, of course, that's not, that's not going to last very long. But I felt like because of their desire to try and keep that going, it was making it very complex. Right. If um, they had all just agreed that they were not friends, they could have gotten a lot of things done much I just think simpler and much faster. Sometimes you got to pick maybe even an arbitrary enemy. But yeah. I mean, most of the time I'd like it to be based on like what faction you're playing. Yep. If like you're my neighbor and you're Sar, you're probably my enemy. We're probably not friends, right. honestly. Right. And we shouldn't just categorize this as all deal-making because things did get scrappy. I mean, Barony and Asarl had, had like some fights round two Sara necro had some fights round two mm -hmm. like despite this being the most negotiations round one and two it was also like the first time we've seen a lot of fights round two right um so and then like you know there was this debate about whether or not nalu was gonna attack a sorrel yin's constantly extorting sar i mean literally everyone is just getting in everybody's way um the biggest thing was uh this is my favorite play of the game is uh sar necro attacks sar to try to get some more tech and 
Sar says, after Necro scores a couple hits, but before uh, Sar has an opportunity to play a shields holding, Sar says, hey, I've got a shields holding. I could block these shots, and then I can just skilled retreat out of here unless you give me your trade agreement. And Necro's like, oh, God, I need the tech. Fine. I mean, I need the, yeah, I need the tech. Fine. Here's my trade agreement. And Sar did not have a skilled retreat. And he pulled <laughs> that move like multiple more right, times that- against Necro. He kept using that line against Necro of, hey, I'll just skilled retreat out of here. Um, there were multiple bluffs about action cards. There were multiple bluffs about intentions. To anyone who says you cannot bluff about action cards if you're allowed to show action cards, I, I watched it happen multiple times right, today. Right. I agree there's an argument of like, why was, why wouldn't the Necro just player just be like, show me the skill to treat and prove it. But like, when you're the one desperately trying to get tech, it doesn't feel like you have a leg up. Like, the Sar can just be like, no, but prove me wrong. Like, no, how bad do you want the tech? It all depends on how much someone needs something before they're willing to just like force you to, you know, it just becomes a weird negotiating tactic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that, I mean, my favorite part of this game was just the amount of bluffing that everybody's and multiple times people calling the bluffs, right? right we we right. saw that with, with Barony, you know, Yin uh, was like, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to not do something or whatever uh, unless you give me something. And Barony was like, I'm not going to give it to you. And Yin was like, okay, never mind. I pass. Like, <laughs> yeah. it was just like, dang it. I didn't, I'm, I, I tried to get something before I passed and I didn't get to. Oh, I don't actually have there anything. Was such a good, see you later. There was such a good reactor meltdown moment where um, Isarl was like going to extort Sar about reactor right. meltdown. Like, it's like, so Isar was like, I have reactor meltdown and I'm going to get you. Um, right. And then Sar goes, uh, well, construction's been picked this round and I already have two, so I'm not really too worried about it. And then Isar was like, all right, well, here we go. I'm going to play it. And then he was like, whoa, whoa wait, no, I, I didn't mean that. Um, I did, no, I'll, I do want you to not play it. <laughs> yeah, I, I <laughs> yeah. do want you to not play it. I'll be, I, and, I, and don't forget before that, that player, Sar was in a secret conversation with someone else and Isarl said to the table, or said specifically to Laura, Laura, I'm going to play a reactor meltdown on Sar, and you keep threatening people with this sabotage you have in your hand. Are you going to threaten me with the sabotage, or will you please just let me reactor meltdown yeah, the, Sar? The extortion. So like, that's what this game had gotten right. to, this level of like everyone basically knows each other's action cards hand and is just trying to be like, please don't make me have to pay you for this thing. And it was just kept being like, give me one trade good for to not do a thing or whatever. Yeah, people were preparing to be extorted and trying to get past it before it even came up. Um, Yeah, there was so... uh, There was the agenda that had, like, every single writer on it. Yeah, it it had six writers on it. Most of them just from Asarl. Asarl had, at one point in his hand, like, five or six writers all at once. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, one agenda got six writers on it. It wasn't even that. It was fleet regulations. Um, So either have four commodities in your fleet supply or, what, everybody loses one or something? Yeah. Or everybody gains one? I forget. Anyways... That got six writers, three on each side, and of course the 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 misplay of it was politics writer and imperial writer both went on one side, which meant like, well, the table can't let that happen. Yeah, they just yeah they just can't. Um, it, it was weird timing though because what it allowed uh to happen was Sar had played a Diplo writer and Sar had been holding on to Mechatol Rex the whole game, and that agenda allowed Sar to make everyone diplomacy. Mechatol Rex with right. the Diplomacy Rider, not with the Diplomacy Strategy card, Diplomacy Rider, which meant that whole next round, nobody gets to take Imperial, and that just so happened to be the round that Sar got Imperial. Right, so so Sar is on Mechatol Rex, this is round four, um, yep. on Mechatol Rex with Imperial, 
uh, and everyone, and and it's basically been diplomacy. So things are looking really good for Sar going into round four. I remember we started yeah. feeling that this game was going to echo the game that came before, yep. and we were going to yep. have a clear breakaway. Uh, that is not quite how it worked out. I feel like Sar got a little bit greedy. Yes. Um, because Sar had several objectives in the bag. They had a tech right. objective in their pocket. They yep. had um, they could have gotten the adjacency uh, to Mechatol Rex. But what they chose to go after, they were trying to be smart. They were trying to get the most difficult objective they could, which was the tech specialties. Right. But they failed the ground combat. And Against then, Yin. And then because of that, they left themselves open, and they were, I forget what they were even able to claim at that point. Right, um, but they that was kind of the beginning of the fall for Sar, right. I would say. And th they uh, they that spent tech they had to spend money in order to um, tr attempt this invasion. So they right. they made it where they could not research uh, the tech that they needed that round. So yep. th they were planning, they were shooting for the two most difficult objectives uh, to claim, and they right. ended up only getting one. Right. So. And what they should have done instead is they got they they pushed themselves out to get two adjacent to Mechatol. Next turn they should have done Imperial and then still spend the rest of the round trying to get the tech spec, you know, the tech specialty planet. Like build yourself up, use a few rounds of chaos mapping and then go take that planet. But I think they just were afraid of the the planet getting reinforced or whatever. It, it makes sense, you know, sometimes you're just like I got to jump on it right now or I'll never get another opportunity. But this was one of those situations where it ended up costing them quite a lot to fail the attack and his his game sort of snowballed out of control mm -hmm. against him from that point forward. Right. Um, uh, and this is where we also started to see um, more support for the throne exchanges. Mm -hmm. This was the beginning of support for the throne exchanges. Yin and Necro did a swap and then actually messed it up and immediately broke it, but agreed to like reform it later on. That was hilarious to see. Yeah. Um, People, I'm telling you though, it's like their brains were starting to get scrambled because right. they were making so many deals with so many different yeah. people that they were messing up like a lot of little things. Right. Um, um, so I barely have any notes for round five and six because of how just like nobody has a shot at winning right now. And I don't even understand what everybody's trying to do. It was like, I mean, Hunter and I were just losing our minds. And this is because of the scramble effect of this game. So I, all I have for round five is Nalu gets Barony's support for the throne. That's I don't all. remember what it was That's for. All. That's all I got. Round six. Sar gets dunked on. Barony and Necro jump into a contention. So round six, we finally see two players start to have an opportunity to win. Right. And it's Barony and Necro. And honestly, Nalu as well at the last yeah. minute got yeah. a a possible uh, chance. So so going right. into the final round, round seven. This one made it to round seven. What, what, yeah. what do you know? Um, and not not just around seven, but like a, it's going to be a full round. Uh -huh. Every other game we've had so far, round seven was decided in the action phase, usually like a first turn or whatever. But this one was like we're going to see all every bit around seven and maybe round eight. Yeah, if there was a lucky. there was a chance for round eight uh, at the beginning of the round. I felt like it was possible. Um, so uh, essentially, the way it worked out is me and you saw a path for Necro. Um, yes. what they needed to happen. And it seemed like they weren't going to get it at the beginning of the round. I remember right. being like, uh, it, looked it looked like this might be really hard. Uh, but what they needed to do was destroy a flagship. The only flagship on the board at the time, at the beginning of round seven, was the Sarles flagship, uh, which was uh, not Necro's neighbor, but Necro's neighbor's neighbor. Right. And it was sitting in their home system. So it just so did, two not, did not slices away. Very, home yeah. so it's like that. Where's that flagship going to? How's he right. ever going to get that flagship? But his other two points that he needed were in the bag completely. Well, sort of in the bag. He needed to spend eight resources, which is more or less in the bag. He had trade goods and he had his home system. Right. So as long as he keeps all of that, 
He was do- totally fine. Yeah. Uh, he he was he had the the most stable shot. Uh, Barony had so much they needed to do in order to win. They were Barony needed need to, get... to build a flagship. Yeah, win a combat with that flagship and gain at least three cultural planets. Right, is uh, what they ended up needing. Which which if you've seen our map is no small feat. Uh, it's no. pretty difficult. He was in uh, slice of the Gashlai, so right. which I'm pretty sure has no. No, well, he has, has Lodor. He had Lodor, but that's it. So you have one, and he needed uh, six. He already had gotten some from another people's slice. Also, well, he didn't even technically need six. They called him out on the six, but he would have been fine with four because he had the secret objective of oh, four right, cultural right, right, planets, right. and he hadn't played in the stage one to have four of the same trait. So he could have gotten two points off of the culturals anyways. Sure, sure. Uh, he was just being thorough. Uh, yes. So the the thing is, though, I, one thing I want to mention is that in the mid, this is the messiest uh, map that we've seen uh, oh my gosh so yes. many so many uh there were just so many losses basically so yeah. many times where uh people just were decimating each other um right and just like and making mistakes and going on like weird uh tangents uh right. and just getting well, all over the place it's just a weird yeah. messy map to compare it to game six game six had a lot of defining moments because someone got such an amazing dice roll that it's just like, oh, combat's done. Guess guess we're done with that, and you're going to get the objective. This one was the exact opposite. We saw so few good dice rolls. We saw so many rounds of combat where it was like, all right, sixth round of combat for, uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. these, for like dreadnoughts and stuff too. I mean, we saw multiple dreadnoughts not score a hit for three or four rounds of combat. This was just like terrible dice rolls all around, and it was making it so hard for people to accomplish anything. And so, yeah, we had there were just ships everywhere. It was it's a complete rainbow of where everybody was ending up. Yeah. Um. So what ended up happening in the end, um, is that essentially there's this Asaral flagship that Necro needs. Um. But Necro, I mean, there's no way that they could have known that Necro needed it really at all. Right. Um. And Isaral, because uh, the flagship can go th- uh has the in the silence of space uh effect essentially. Um, right. He takes it outside of his slice, and I I don't know what his plan was. I feel like it was to try and invade somebody's home system. Right. However, the second he takes it out, because uh, he has he has warfare, so he's gonna he's gonna move it out, and then he's gonna move it again. And he try also it. had an unexpected action, yeah. so he had like yeah. multiple opportunities to get this flagship so, somewhere useful. So he had that in the bag in that way. But the problem is, the second he jumped out, Necro jumped on him. Right. Um, and scored that point. And basically after that, we were waiting for the game to end. Now that yep. all being said, Barony was busy in that final yes. round. Oh my gosh. Yeah. We were, it, I mean, I feel bad for Barony. If Barony's going to watch this game back, he's going to hear us just being like, oh my gosh, make the game and Necro's going to win it. We weren't paying attention to like how killer of a round Barony was having. Right. And accomplishing every last i mean we should have been counting it out and we should have seen it from the get-go of like oh wow he's we were just off and so he's doing tired it. this we was were the just most so tired and we game. saw necro the problem was necro was already higher in initiative so it almost didn't matter because nobody was going for necro so even though barony was putting in all the work and had diplomacy so was definitely scoring after necro the fact that necro had already solidified it it was like ah crap that's game over yeah um but credit to him he ended up you know, with moments away, six cultural planets, right? He ended up with the six cultural planets, which we haven't seen anybody do yet on this map. We haven't seen anybody get six of the same trait. Yeah. I don't believe. 
Um, and so he, he was right there, could have won it, but Necro, I mean, Necro had 19 ground forces right, on his home. Right. There planet. was no way. There was, there was no and way. a parlay. Right. Which the parlay was a bigger thing too. We didn't talk about Nalu, but Nalu had a shot, but Nalu's shot was dependent on two things. One, taking a planet in Sar's home world that Lizix had. No, not Lizix. Liz, par- Sorry, ne- I don't Necro. know why I said Lizix. Necro. Necro. Necro had a parlay. Necro had sabotages. Necro had all sorts of action cards to deal with these attacks. And Necro had leadership. And Nalu had a command counter problem. Mm-hmm. So Nalu needed to be able to build. Nalu really needed to wait for warfare to get played so he could build in his home system and then send a nice big fleet with lots of ground forces to uh, the Sar homeworld. But because Necro had leadership, he got to stall Nalu out. So Nalu had to make a really. Basically, like, I'm going to cross my fingers and hope this works kind of attack. And the the truth of it was that it never stood a chance because of the parlay right, right. in uh, Necro's hand. So Nalu looked like they had a really good chance, and then it just kind of got dashed before him. And, and yeah, Necro, Necro won that one. Yep, yep. So we had our first, first Necro win. Uh, we still haven't had any repeat factions win, correct? It's, it's I just believe been, that's true. Yeah, I, yep. I think that's definitely true. Um. But yeah, so we've had our first Necro win. We've had our first Yin win, which is pretty cool. Yep. We've had a I want to say Winu, this much. I, uh, we've had every faction in except for Embers of Muat. Embers so, has not been in at all. Winu has gotten through multiple drafts, but I haven't. I don't think we've seen Muat even get to the nomination step. No, we haven't. We definitely haven't seen Muat in a single draft, and I think they're getting banned every single time, or at the very least, if they're not getting banned, they're not getting nominated. And I'm gonna call you all cowards. Let mm-hmm. embers get into slice of gas and see how it. high they can soar. Somebody do it. Um, I I want to say something. This is like kind of a random feeling uh, I'm getting from watching so many games uh, on this map, and uh, yeah. I don't know why this is this is such a specific thing to want to come out of me. Um, I actually think Sar. Uh, well, overall, uh, I love Sar, and I think Sar is a really really great faction. Obviously, I rated them higher than you on the tier uh-huh. tier list episode. Uh-huh. Um, I think they struggle a little bit on this uh, map. And I think one of the reasons is because it's so well balanced that if Sar tries to do their usual thing of being a ball out there and going for Mechatol and going out and abandoning their slice, uh, the right. slices are so even that they're giving yes. up uh, an entire even slice that is, that's too much. That's too much. Exactly. Yeah. The only game we've seen Sar win is when they basically had to retreat back into their home slice fairly early and they just played from their slice so right. yeah trying to get into other people's stuff is incredibly difficult so maybe we'll see a sar that does the full-on like no i'm building i'm not doing anything but building a giant sar ball and i'm going to to get into your stuff but i, I really think it's either play in your slice or do not go through mechatol like gun if you're gonna take someone else's slice go to your adjacent neighbor and just get them yeah like yeah. That's that's the only option for that for Sar. Um, but more likely, I mean, again, the only Sar victory we've seen so far was them more or less playing in their slice. Yeah, I just think whenever ever whenever all the slices are even, uh, it's harder for that Sar ball advantage to yeah. really just snowball somebody somebody else in their slice right. because it's like, well, they have a solid slice, so even if you push them back to their home system, they've got a solid chance of surviving. Right. 
Right. Um, the planets around Mechatol are not any good. So like gallivanting yeah, yeah. just around Mechatol that, doesn't get you anywhere. It gets you no money. That's exactly the point. That's really the problem is that all of the all of the planets directly uh, around Mechatol are the weakest planets in everybody's right. slice, and all the strongest planets are right next to the home systems. Right. And so that's just that's just a hard setup for SAR if they're trying to do that. I feel like yeah, it's the when when uh, Kraken. It was Kraken, right? That was yes, playing it Sar. Was. Yep. When when Kraken was kind of forced to play the way that they were, I was like, "Oh, Sar looks really good like this uh, as more of a just like I have a giant fleet in my in my slice that can kind of like snipe systems to get trade goods, but not necessarily fully commit to going, you know, and just abandoning your own slice." Right. Right. All right. Well, that we was a it. lot. That was a lot. That's a lot. We we are incapable of. Uh, talking about these games quickly, uh, as you can tell right. by the hour mark on this uh, episode. So thanks for joining us. Um, again, action cards will be next week. We're not going to record the action card thing immediately after a game. We're, we're doing it during the week, so you can rest assured we won't be just like completely exhausted next time. So you will get action cards part two next week, and you'll get all the errata for action cards part one yeah. next week. All right. Do well, we need to? Oh man, do we need to do the thing that we always do—the rundown? Yeah, we got to do the rundown. Do rundown. Yeah, I don't have the have, notes on the rundown. Here we go. I, From I, memory, I have them right in front of me. Oh dang it! All right. All right so you can go to our Twitter, Space Cats Pod, for game updates and announcements. Check out our Facebook, Space Cats Peace Turtles, for more announcements. And you can send Matt questions, and he'll answer them because he has to answer them because he always does. And we have like a very good response time, and it has nothing to do with me. It all has to do with Matt. <laughs> you can check out the subreddit, tw- the r slash twilight imperium where we post weekly um and you can discuss stuff there uh i don't know if people are still doing that a whole lot these days but that's that's that was a big part of our of of us coming up of our of our lineage and it's still very important to us and i love that subreddit um (laughs) board game geek check it out it's fine uh we have a guild there and that's fine too i guess that's the end of that (laughs) that's the end of that uh board game geek not so much in our has been the nicest to us in us figuring out how to make this show work and how to make it work people. um that's just i'm not sour about it i'm just saying it's a fact and and i'm all, and i'm also saying the website looks like it was designed in the 90s and it still looks like that okay um html5 yo uh it's called it's called squarespace anyways uh <laughs> You can check out our our Patreon, our Patreon, and you can be a Patreoner, a a pat a Patron, if you will, a Patron. Uh, we have lots of different uh, you know things and stuff, and you can check it all out on Patron, Patreon. Check it out. Uh, come on down to the Discord. Have a fun conversation with other mm-hmm. people that watch the show and play Twilight Imperium. And I've been on a lot more lately because I have Yay. to be on the weekends. Uh, and I got to tell you, really love it. Reading a lot of nice stuff. The other day I tried to have an impromptu Gideon Brotherhood game. Couldn't get it together. Uh, but that's okay. You gave him like an hour to all just I gave show him up, like an so. I, I didn't know how it would work. <laughs> I didn't know how it would work. I didn't know that that wouldn't work because I had no right. idea what to expect. Um, yeah. Please rate us on your podcast app of choice, especially Apple Podcasts slash iTunes so that Tim Cook knows we're doing a good job. And we need him to know. Um, (laughs) Hey, I'm a comedian. Yo, yo, what up? You can check me out every single Thursday at Earthquake Hurricane at Ford Food and Drink. That show starts at 8 p.m. It's super great. I do it with three other Portland comedians, and they are all really, uh, we're all very successful in air quotes. Um, We are 
Portland comics, uh, and it's fun. Yeah, come check it out. It's a good show. Uh, the other show I'm on uh, next Thursday on the 31st, uh, all, like after Earthquake Hurricane, uh, I'm doing a show called For the Birds, uh, and that is at a place called The Nest, and that show starts at 9 p.m. Uh, the Nest, and that is all in Portland, Oregon. And we got to thank some thank some Patrons today. Uh, I would definitely like to thank the Space Kitties, Jim Bov, Jim Bov, Jim V, Dustin Doom, Mac, the cartographer of chaos, Frederick Durston, Nathan Swenson, and Yin for Life. And then we also want to thank, and this is the part where you come in because you've been looking it up. While I, I want to thank Evernoob and Michael and Laxo and Jack B and the Nine of Spades and Paul. And I want to thank Box and Panster and Pirate Empress Laura and Werewolf and Oxonium and Jedi Joe. Thanks. Thanks All right. Um, okay. Do we have a play of the week? I have a play of the week. I've been trying to proofread it here, uh, but we're going to go in pretty blind on this one. Are you ready? All right, let's you just. Ready? This is this is essentially the first time either of us uh, have read this one. So <clears throat> this is literally from Sam. Okay, from Sam Levine. This five-player game. This better be good, Sam. <laughs> this is Necro Firewall. The match begins on Tabletop Simulator, like many do. A group of us scrounging enough people for a weekend game on Discord. We managed to get a five-person game going, three newer players, an experienced player, and me. I ready myself for a game of space risk, knowing the newbie tendency well. Um, what I got was quite different. The races and positions were picked quickly, with me as the Mentech Coalition, followed by Necro, Hakan, Sar, and Joel Nar. Interesting lineup. I could tell we would need to pull out all the stops. First round, I managed to grab tech. Excellent, I think to myself. I can do the ultimate SCPT first round strategy of getting cruiser twos and claiming four planets. But only if I could get Hakan to cooperate. Hakan, the expert player, grabs trade. He pops at first round. I immediately ask what he wants for two trade goods. He knows my plan, though I do my best to play ignorant. He agrees to move forward for a two with a two-for-two two trade if I throw in my racial promissory. I snap up the deal, for I know the power of Cruiser 2s in the first round. And as Hunter and I said recently, I think Mentak is desperate to get that... Uh, that yeah, thing out there. You, you want yeah. you want Hakan to feel safe and start trading with everybody so you can pillage yeah. as much as yeah. you can off of it. Anyways, much to my horror, he then slowly proceeds around the table, offering refreshes and one-for-one trades, getting each faction's promissory <sighs> note in the promise in the process. Antivirus, research agreement, even SARS trade agreement. What? All for pennies on the dollar. I yell, I shout, I plead, but my warnings fall on deaf ears as the newbies give away their most sacred promises for scraps. Only now do I understand the change of tact a change of tactics may be necessary. The round proceeds. Akon amasses an enormous fleet while Sar scoops up planets and a treasure trove of trade goods all waiting to be spent. Round two begins. Hakan grabs leadership and smashes his fleet into Sar's only space dock. The table gasps at Hakan and he attempts to justify his actions. I know how powerful Sar can be. You should be happy I got to him before he spent those trade goods. The excuses fly, but I see his true intentions. Eliminating a top opponent while gaining a slice for himself. The star player is fuming. I see the window of opportunity open. Hakan, not wanting a game-long enemy, continues to smash the star fleet. I simply fan the flames with play-by-play comments, offering my condolences and vilifying the evil feline tyrants. Nonetheless, the bloodthirsty space cats proceed until only ground troops remain. Sar doesn't even have a ch- doesn't even get a chance to use his trade goods. They simply sit there on his command sheet, Oof. waiting. I then turn to my neighbors and start asking them for favors. 
Jolnar, would you mind if I move that fleet for three trade goods? Necro, I'll give you trade goods if you hold off on attacking me this turn. Puzzled, the other players cautiously accept my proposition, wondering how I will make good on my promises. Hakan sees my plan and proceeds to place a cruiser directly in my path to Sar. Not a problem, of course, for I have cruiser twos spread across the map, ready for battle. I destroy the Space Cat's soul ship and make my way to one of Sar's last remaining planets with an offer. Great nomads of Sar, the evil Hakan has destroyed your fleets, demolished your space docks, and murdered your people. While I cannot offer your people a path to rule the galaxy, I can offer you something else. Revenge. I then detail my plan to take his treasure trove of trade goods and distribute them to the rest of the table. This would be Sar's best chance to stop Hakan from winning the game. Hakan screams in protest. This was tactical. I had no choice. You don't know how, powerf how powerful Sar can become. I did you all a favor. The other and other worthless dribble. The other players agree genocide would not be tolerated in our galaxy. I take Sar's stash and divvy it up amongst myself, Necro, and Jolnar. With the brunt of his forces abroad, open season begins on Hakan's systems. The cats desperately try to hold off the onslaught, but it is too little, too late. After only one round, the cats have been forced back into their home system bunkers, muttering and grumbling about how their tactics were sound. Sar never truly recovers, but Hakan ends up losing with six victory points. Oof. Justice Oof. had been served. Oof. 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 That feels like how uh, our our yin game almost had to go. It's right, just like we gotta do, we gotta dunk on him. Right, For, forget as everything. Much as it's we over. Can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that dogpile thing. It's it's yeah. it's always so wild to see. You know what I was thinking? Um, I want to play this game. Oh yeah, Twilight I would Imperium. Like to play Twilight Imperium. Yeah, that would be fun. I didn't know that that would be part of the tournament. Would be that we wouldn't really get to play. We never anymore. get to play. Yeah. Well, yeah, and the good Yin Brotherhood is like really itching for one too. We we I don't know what we have we do, have but... to we have to try and make it happen. Yeah. Um, for sure. All right. Well, and then that was, that a, that was, was the a weird end of the end. episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then it ended. All right. Well, we're literally crazy at this point. We have I have been up since 8 a.m. and it is now yeah. 8 p.m. and the only thing I've looked at or thought about was Twilight <laughs> Imperium. So if you feel cheated that you didn't get part two of the action card episode, good day, sir. Good day. Uh, good day. Thank you for listening to Space Cats Peace Turtles and thanks to Ben Prunty for the use of his music. You can find more at benpruntymusic.com and benprunty.bandcamp.com. Pax Magnifica, Bellum Gloriosum.